0: This episode is brought to you by The Wellness Summit, two days that will change your life forever. For tickets, go to thewellnesssummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire, it's time for That Paleo Show, with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill.
1: that paleo show making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone i'm sarah stewart
2: i'm steve hader and i'm brett hill
1: so today we're doing something a little bit different uh pretty much because we can but more importantly because we think you are beautiful listeners at home will find it really handy so get your pen and paper at the ready Uh, Today's guest is fun, quirky and knowledgeable and in 2011 he decided it was time to spread the word that healthy living is incredibly easy, it's absolutely enjoyable Uh, and from that nice life and making health fun was born. He is a wellness researcher and journalist and has worked in the health and wellness industry for nearly 10 years. Working with some of the best naturopaths in Australia and other health personalities like David Wolfe, Kale has developed a well-rounded and practical healing approach which has seen hundreds of normal people achieve abundant health. How cool is that? So he has recently released an e-book called Fermented Foods, The Art of Probiotic Nutrition and this is what we're hoping to capitalize on today. So get excited but before we do, we'd like to officially welcome to the show today's guest, Kale Brock. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. We're excited to have you as well, <laughs> Kale. Um, so, we'd like to start by finding out a little bit about you and, and what inspired you to spread the word on health and, and arrive at where you are today.
3: Yeah, okay. Well, I guess the, the most significant point was when I was about uh, 15 or 16 years old, I was diagnosed with a pretty serious heart condition called uh, supraventricular tachycardia, which is a bit of a mouthful, but uh, for short, it was called SVT. Basically, I would go through these um, episodes where my heart would get a little bit crazy and have this really serious arrhythmia to the point where I was almost fainting. And, you know, as a surfer, a couple of times that happened in the water. And, um, yeah, so it got a little bit dangerous, you know. I didn't want to faint in the water. So we went to the doctor, as you do, and um, the doctor wanted to perform what's called an ablation, ablation, where uh, they actually enter the heart, they cut into the heart, and they uh, burn away a piece of the heart to try and fix this problem. Uh, To me, that sounded a little bit um, intense and graphic for a 15-year-old. Uh, And we actually knew a family uh, or a close friend who had had the uh, operation done numerous times to no effect. So uh, luckily then I was introduced to a very uh, amazing lady who um, has now since become my health coach and she's got a background in naturopathy and whatnot. And uh, we worked it out that it was basically a mineral and antioxidant deficiency and I wasn't eating the right foods and within six months the frequency of these episodes really dropped back significantly, you know, probably 90%. And nowadays I can't even remember the last time it's happened. So um, I was really excited about how this helped me. And funnily enough, the same principles that I use to get healthy for my heart have also helped you know, friends and family fix a variety of other health issues. So, you know, and the best thing about this is that they're all extremely simple and it really just means going back to basics, which I guess is what you guys are about. You know, Paleolithic is not just what you eat, it's how you live. You know, it's going back to basics, keeping it simple. And, you know, I guess the real reason we're here is just to be happy and healthy and have fun. And I think doing this sort of thing and doing the stuff we're going to be talking about today is um, a great way to achieve those things.
4: That's awesome, mate. And I tell you what, I've got to say right from the start what a great name for someone to come on to the Telego show <laughs> because Kale, Kale is just like the bee's knees at the moment isn't it everyone's talking about it, everyone's eating it so you're just like you're made to be on the show I reckon
1: Like well, <laughs> his you. last name's not Chips hey <laughs> yeah.
2: oh, but God. it's close
1: to broccoli it's
3: close yeah. to ah, that's I the thing like. and everyone's like are you is your name are you serious did you change your name <laughs> and I, I have to say right now it's on my birth certificate I did not change my name that's just how it all panned out
4: <laughs> I love it I love it that's fantastic So, so obviously you know We're talking about this sort of holistic approach you've taken to health and how you're able to make all these changes and and it sounds like fermented foods were a big part of that and obviously we're going to talk a bit about that today with your ebook so So how did fermented foods be, start to become part of that package for you?
3: Yeah, so it actually wasn't until, um, interestingly though, probiotics were a big part of my program for the first few years, but I didn't get introduced to fermented foods for a long time and I'm actually, I can't even remember where. I think I heard that very strange term, if you haven't heard it before, like fermented vegetables, and I went, wow. You know, that what is that, you know? So I started doing some research. I think this was about four years ago. And um, at the time, I was doing the whole raw vegan thing and whatnot. I was very skinny. And then after consuming or starting doing my own fermented foods and whatnot, I actually started to build a lot more muscle. And that's when I realized that, you know, there's something special going on with these foods. And um, again, I probably researched it very intensely for the next few years and sort of led me to where I am today. But like I was saying, um nowadays the fermented foods definitely and probiotics definitely start to play a pretty significant part in you know the program I recommend to all the people I work with
2: yeah cool. Uh- Kale, I'm I'm having a bit of a look over your ebook, and um, you talk about uh, some some factors regarding um, good health, but you talk about throwing the balance, and um, I was wondering if like. Well, one of the things that's curious is that you can do uh, all the things in the world for a fantastic nutrition. You know, you can have your nutrition 100%, but there are some other factors as well that if they're out of balance, that it's, it's not really going to account for much. So can you tell us about some stuff that, that can throw the balance
3: yeah, so uh, I guess specifically we're talking about throw the balance of uh, our microbiome or our bacterial fingerprint and that's that stuff inside our stomach and throughout our body. Yep. And um, yeah, so things that throw the balance of that and sort of allow the bad guys to grow and the good guys to kind of dwindle is um, things like radiation. You know, we're surrounded by that all day and it's not going to go away but uh, we have to realize that stress, uh, high-intensity exercise can do it. Um, well, a high-sugar diet, alcohol, antibiotics. These are all things that can really throw the balance and sort of really cascade, begin a cascade of health issues for a lot of people.
1: Beautiful. And I guess that, um, that sort of leads us into fermented foods and, and how great they can be for our gut health, which is a, a real sort of buzz in, the, in particularly the paleo community, but not just paleo alone. Um, and uh, we'd love you, Cale, to perhaps give us a, a bit of a preview or a how-to for everyone at home. Um, how do we ferment our food?
3: Yeah, okay. Well, basically, you need to work by these principles. And once you work by a few principles, you actually make it very easy for yourself to know how to do this and make these lovely fermented foods. Uh, so basically, we use we are able to use foods as a medium upon which we can grow beneficial bacteria, which is pretty cool. And not only do the bacteria grow and they themselves are good for us, but once they partly digest the food, the food actually becomes better for us as well. So I guess if we're talking practically now, uh, what what you want to do is go out and get a bunch of uh, vegetables. Typically we're talking simply at the start, uh, cabbage, carrots, beetroot, sweet potato, tomatoes, uh, garlic, spring onion, all those sorts of things, and basically you're going to clean them really nicely with a bit of salt and vinegar, and you're going to pack them into a jar, and then you're going to use some sort of bacterial starter, a good bacteria, uh, to impregnate that batch with good bacteria and then the bacteria can grow and, grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and they do that asexually so you don't actually need too many to start with. They'll just keep multiplying and multiplying. And then you have this wonderful batch of sour, you know, vinegar-like fermented foods which you can start adding to all your dishes and it will help you digest Lots of protein and stuff. And the funny thing, this is good on this show because um, our paleolithic lifestyle includes animal protein, which is great. I'm all for it. But the thing is, if we're not digesting that protein, it can actually be toxic to the human organism and we can reabsorb toxins into the bloodstream and stuff. It can result in things like colitis and Crohn's and even to to a serious extent, bowel cancer and things like that. So consuming these fermented foods is actually a really, really powerful health tool, and particularly for the paleo lifestyle.
4: I love that, Kyle, And it's interesting we start talking about this in terms of the paleo lifestyle, because obviously actually creating fermented foods like this isn't something that like your caveman would have done. Like They weren't actually sitting down and consciously creating fermented <laughs> foods. And so you can sort of look at that, and, and I guess the question then becomes, okay, so do we need this in our paleo lifestyle because you know, is it that they were getting fermented foods in other ways, like maybe just picking stuff up off the ground that it actually already started fermenting a bit, or is it because of our lifestyles that are actually killing the bacteria in our body that we're then having to replace, or is it a bit of both?
3: I really I love that question. Uh, well, that's the thing. We... Uh, over thousands of years, there have been cultures that have consumed these fermented foods as part of their traditions, and maybe not strictly from a health point, maybe from a spiritual point or a celebratory standpoint. Um, and they did this in order to um, not only, yeah, like I said, not only to improve their health, but as like a cultural significance thing. And, yeah, they would have been picking – that's another way you can get good bacteria into your system, by the way, is picking stuff out of the garden and not washing it instead of getting it into the system. That's a good thing. Obviously, you don't want to be eating dirt. You know, I've got some people who might go out there and eat a bit of soil every now and then, which is interesting, but you don't have to go
4: that far. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, where was I? I was on – track before <laughs> What's the question again? We, we, we were just talking about it in terms of the paleolithic lifestyle because obviously yeah. you know whilst cultures may have been doing it for the last several thousand years you know when we're talking about the paleolithic you know perhaps a hundred thousand years ago yeah then, then they weren't actually doing it so was it because they were getting that those bacteria from their environment like they may have been eating some fruits that had actually started to ferment a little bit or is it just because we've stressed ourselves out so much living such toxic lifestyles that we're actually killing the beneficial bacteria and that's why we have to replace them
3: Right, right. Okay. So I think that that is um, to a large extent the reason that we see so many benefits from eating fermented foods now because we have such a lack of probiotics in the system uh, due to those things we were talking about before. Uh, But also, you know, we're living lifestyles, especially when we're born these days. You know, we're actually living indoors a lot more. We're not being exposed to lovely, beneficial bacteria in our environment. You know, you go down the beach and there's bacteria everywhere, but it's not all bad. And that's what a lot of people are focusing on. And, you know, we're being born now and actually giving mothers an IV antibiotic during the birthing process, which effectively wipes out any sort of um, bacterial fingerprint the mother has that she can pass on to her um, son or daughter. Which is sad. So yeah, all these factors are making it more necessary for us to consume these fermented foods. And as a result of our low state of health, I guess, generally speaking, we are seeing a really big sort of improvement in health when we start consuming them.
2: Um, I'm interested about the uh, the the, practic- the practicalities of uh, fermenting your own um, fruit and vegetables. Um, can you can you tell us uh, from a from a practical point of view uh, the the actual process itself from start to finish?
3: Yeah, so it's super easy once you really get down to it. That, that's the best thing about all this is that it's super easy and it's super affordable. Uh, basically, I like to tell people in terms of obtaining a culture starter, they can buy them online and whatnot, which is fine, but I actually tell people to go out and find themselves a SCOBY, which yeah. is, as you might know, is in, involved with the kombucha movement. Yeah. Uh, the SCOBY stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast, And it's basically a little blob or mushroom thing that's filled with good bacteria. Now I get people to make a kombucha batch first and then from there they move on and they use that kombucha, which is like a, a lovely source of good bacteria, they use that kombucha to impregnate all their cultured vegetable batches. So like we were talking about before, What someone's going to do is go out and get a bunch of vegetables like cabbage, uh, tomato, carrots, spring onion and whatnot. You're going to chop it all up, put it in a jar and they're going to mix it and they're going to wash it first. So that way we actually get like a blank slate to work with. That's another point I'll just make quickly. Um, Some people do fermented vegetables with like a saline solution. This keeps the environment very alkaline and allows only the good bacteria to grow. But unfortunately these days we're not actually picking stuff out the garden like we should be and all that. And the bacterial a fingerprint on certain foods can be a little bit compromised due to storage and transport and things like that when we're buying them from the shops. That's why I always tell people to use a starter. Yeah. So anyway, back to our little process here. We've got everything packed into the jar. It's all been washed. We add a little bit of water and we put in our culture starter. And that that's that can be as simple as pouring a little bit of kombucha in the jar as well. Uh, we shake that up to disperse the bacteria all over the vegetables and then we leave it in a dark uh, temperature constant place for about a week or two weeks or however long. I've actually... This is funny. I've actually... I taught a class on fermented foods about three months ago, and just behind me in the pantry, we've got, um, I think, three or four jars still, of uh, veggies just sitting there, and they're fine, and they're not off or anything. That's what people get a little bit paranoid about when it comes to this stuff. They're going, "Oh no, do I have to refrigerate it?" I want to, and you got to think back a hundred years ago. People didn't have refrigeration, and longer they didn't have refrigeration. So this is this was a way to get them through the winter and really keep their vegetables from going to waste, and not only that, add in really nutritious food into their program. Uh, so we're going to leave those foods up in the pantry for however long you're going to smell it, and if it smells nice and vinegary and you can't see any sort of mould or anything, that – the. the chance is that that food is very, very, very nutritious. And you take something like cabbage, for example, which is hard to digest. It can suppress the thyroid before you ferment it. And then you ferment it and all of a sudden it's extremely nutritious. It's easy to digest. The vitamin C content has gone up thousands of times. So you know it's a really great way to do it. And in terms of um, adding these foods into your diet, have them with a salad. Have them with a bit of animal protein. That's perfect. And you don't need to have them three meals a day every single day. I only eat them maybe two or three times a week now because, you know, you can go too far with these things and they can throw out the balance. So you really got to look at these foods as condiments, not mains. That's a nice point I want to make there too.
1: Yeah, that's a really important um, point, Cal. I know that when Steve and I get excited about Something health wise, we can get a little bit crazy. (laughs) Everybody does that, though.
3: You know, like, you know, I'm sure that back when I started, I was living off the raw chocolate diet thinking I was killing it, you know. Is that not
1: the best diet ever? (laughs) I'm still there. No, just kidding. (laughs) Um, Kale, I'm interested for those of us, I like to say, have a delicate palate. Some people might say fussy. I don't know. Tomato, tomato. But um, what about people that. Um, are a little bit more sensitive to vinegar. Are there fermented foods that are a a little better to ease yourself into?
3: Yes. So obviously when I'm talking fermented vegetables, I'm talking about that they are the healthiest way to get your fermented foods in, Mm -hmm. no doubt. But uh, we can also make delicious things like uh, kombucha, which is more sweet, but it's still got that vinegar thing uh, going on. But we can also make uh, something called coconut yoghurt, which you probably see now. It's a huge fad and it's everywhere and whatnot. And the commercial products have a small amount of probiotics in them. And when you make your own batch of coconut yogurt, you know that there are probiotics in there because it's fizzy, it's a little bit sour, it's delicious. Uh, So that's probably the best food to – if you're sensitive and you want these probiotics in your diet, Mm. uh, you could take supplements as well. But you could also, yeah, start on this – The coconut yogurt, that's a really good
4: one.
1: I think you're talking my language now. That sounds
4: great, Carl. That sounds great. So before we move on to how to make coconut yogurt, the first thing I want to know is when you spoke before about adding in the veggies and then adding water and adding kombucha, can you give us some rough sort of quantities of how much of each of those you'd add in?
3: Yeah. So probably, I mean, there's so much leeway when you start to really learn the principles, then it doesn't even matter about the ingredients. But uh, for people who are just starting, you'd probably want about a cup of water and half a cup or even a quarter of a cup of your liquid kombucha or your liquid culture starter and then shake that around to get the bacteria
4: around. And the into how much, of, how much vegetable is that? Oh,
3: that's one jar. So when I'm talking about one jar, I'm talking about maybe a jar that's about 30 centimetres high and about yeah. 15 centimetres wide. So that's quite a lot of vegetables. You don't actually need so much of the so much of the culture starter and whatnot because they're very powerful, very hardy. You can actually – go to uh, the extent, especially with uh, foods like, um, what's that one? Miso? Uh, You've probably heard yep. of miso sure. before, but you can actually microwave that stuff and the good bacteria will still survive. That's how hardy they are. So yeah, you don't need to underestimate how powerful these little these little bugs so, sitting so, on your veggies are.
4: <laughs> so, it's, so it's then essentially a full jar of veggies with just a little bit of liquid down the bottom. I mean, that's not going to be completely immersed in liquid with that sort of quantity, is it?
3: No, no. And it doesn't need to be with the starter. That's the thing. When you do a saline solution batch, uh, and if you're getting cabbage out the garden or whatever and you want to do just a simple salt-based sauerkraut batch, uh, you would make sure that all your veggies are immersed in water just to keep the oxygen away from them. But when you cover them all with the probiotic liquid, you don't actually need that water. And eventually, the uh, vegetables act- will actually release a lot of water anyway and everything will mm. sink down and you'll have this wonderful liquid which, which you can actually use as a starter for your next batch. You know? Nice. So, yeah, nice. it's all really, it's a great way to, you know, get these foods into your diet. It's so cheap and easy. I can't
4: even emphasize that enough. Got it. Got it. I'm giving it a go tonight. All right. So, <laughs> let's move on to the coconut yogurt. Let's tell us how to make that.
3: Yeah. So, what you want to do is get, uh, three or four high-quality young coconuts, uh, young Thai coconuts. You can get those from the health food store. I'm not talking about the brown husky ones, you know, those hairy things. They're they're old. You don't want those. Uh, You want the young ones that are sold in health food stores and whatnot, and that water is very sweet, okay, and that will actually help us um, make our batch of coconut yogurt because the bacteria can feed off that sweetness in the the sugary water. So we're going to open those, and it's kind of impossible for me to – (laughs) demonstrate that on here Uh, (laughs) uh, maybe look it up on YouTube or something how to open some coconuts safely but you want to open them, drain the liquid out and then scoop out all the young meat And put it into a blender. Add a little bit of the water back in there. And blend it up so you can get like a smooth yogurt consistency. Now, once you've blended it into a smooth yogurt consistency, we're going to add in our starter. So you might even just add in a little bit of your vegetable juice. But, um, you know, that might taste a little bit funny. So basically, when we're doing things like this, I always say add some liquid kombucha. And you want to blend that last because the blending process can actually sort of uh, compromise some of the bacteria. So I just blend that in last at the last minute put it all into a glass jar, put a lid on there so it can't breathe and I leave it in a nice warm place for about a day and then you open it up and you should have a relatively sour, almost effervescent uh, coconut yogurt mix. And you know what, if you don't want to go that far and have it be that sour or whatever, you can actually just put it straight in the fridge, and the bacteria will slowly but surely will multiply, and you'll have like a sweeter, more smoother taste, I guess.
2: Hey, Kale, can you do a can you do a lazy person's version and use uh, <laughs> tinned uh, coconut cream or milk uh, from the, from the supermarket?
3: <laughs> That's good. Uh, actually, when I make it, I'll actually only use maybe one or two coconuts, if any, and then add in some organic coconut cream just because, like you said, it just makes it easier, you know. And yeah, I know you guys know that canned coconut cream isn't the best thing for you. It's probably, you know, done ultra-heat technology or whatever. But, you know, it just makes it easier. And once you ferment food, it kind of wakens it up, and I think the benefits of that far outweigh any sort of uh, detriment.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, We uh, had a friend who um, did a bit of research on Google from scratch and picked up a recipe uh, for making her own sauerkraut, and it was to do with... uh, collecting her own um way i think off of some yogurt and then using that in order to make her own sauerkraut yeah and um that process for her um, for whatever reason I think it was fully immersed resulted in a in a bit of discolor uh, discolorization I guess and it, it was a bad batch and actually made her sick so can, mm-hmm. can you tell us um, what is that process just in case people do go out and, and find um, that particular method and what are some stuff what are some things to look out for and, and how do you get it done successfully
3: yeah that's a good question because a lot of people ask me if you can use like a dairy based Bacteria to start it, and you know what? Sometimes you can, sometimes it'll work, but I found that no, it's not a sure safe way to do it. Uh, Basically, in terms of getting a safe batch that you know is safe to eat, it all comes down to the smell for me. And if it smells like apple cider vinegar or like vinegar, you're pretty much okay. And you do have to use a little bit of sight. You know, you have to look and see if there's any mold or whatnot. I think I had a batch um a a couple of years ago, and this is how successful you know and how easy it is the only Batch that I've had unsuccessful is a couple of years ago, and um, it just the cut the color was very grey and off. Whereas in a nice batch, uh, the colors in the vegetables change, but they're still glowing. You know they're alive. And when you smell it, and you get used to that smell, that kombucha vinegary smell, and y- you'll know, you'll know, and that becomes very familiar t- familiar to you. And you know you start walking around like a professional wine taster, opening up all your jars and smelling them like a connoisseur. <laughs> oh
4: my yeah. goodness! I could. I can so relate to that because yes. when you say when it smells wrong, you'll know. Like yeah. when I got to the bit in your book where you're talking about kimchi, I, I kind of I felt a little bit off because we did some <laughs> kimchi at home and we, and we made some and yeah, it didn't quite go right and it did end up a bit moldy. And the smell of that was not cool. Yeah, like, it's, it was, <laughs> it was just not okay. So, um, you know, how do you how do you avoid that? And and what may have gone wrong to cause that mold to grow? And uh, yeah, I guess you know, what do you need to look out for to make sure? I mean, obviously you've said the smell to make sure that it's not mouldy, and to make sure you you know you're not adding stuff in that might actually be detrimental to your health.
3: Yeah, so that's where i washing the vegetables very well and getting that blank slate principle that I talk about um, going on. Uh, so basically, if you wash the vegetables in some warm water and a bit of vinegar, and I'm talking full vinegar here, vinegar kills you know 99% of mould and viruses and any bad bacteria. So that's a great way to wash your vegetables, and we're using a similar substance to ferment them in, so I think that's the best way to do it. Um, really washing those, excuse me, and also... Uh, ensuring that all the utensils you're using and the jar you're using have been washed very well too. Uh, that way, it just—it's a great way to ensure that everything we're using doesn't contain any sort of bacteria that we don't want there.
4: And yeah. so, when you're talking about washing the jar, are you using just like detergent, or are you using vinegar, vinegar again, or how do you do I, that? I
3: use the warm water and vinegar for everything before I start. So I'll do all the utensils first and I'll sort of keep the water in the sink, like a hot water with vinegar, and then I'll chop up all the vegetables and put those in there and wash those.
2: Cool. Okay, what's what's the best time to have cultured vegetables, kombucha, and coconut yogurt? Because you make mention of it in your book. (laughs) I was wondering if you could touch on that because um, it's easy, uh, and I know a lot of parents actually who have kombucha or... um, have the kefir kefir water that mm-hmm. uh, they flavour then, uh, or do a second ferment, and it, it can al- almost be a bit of a, a cordial substitute. Um, yeah. But then can come the temptation to just have it whenever whenever you please. So when are the optimal times to have those things?
3: Yeah, that that's also a good question because we start to move into the area of food combining, which is a big sort of, I think a big issue in and in, in all these sort of fad diets going around. Uh, so basically what we're trying to avoid is the combination of uh, sweet sugars and proteins because that – uh, down the track, if you want to go that far, we'll end up with um, advanced glycation end products, and we won't go further than that, but they are damaging to the human organism. Uh, so basically, if you're going to have some coconut yogurt, have it away from any sort of animal protein. Have it in the morning for breakfast with some almonds and berries and whatnot. I actually do that whenever I have it. i you know do a solid four days in a row where I have that breakfast every single morning. It's great. Um with your cultured vegetables, have those with salad and animal protein or just a salad with something like a nut pesto or whatever you're having. Uh, vegetables and vegetables is, is probably the best way to do it. Uh, kombucha, again, because there's a lot of sugar in kombucha, even though it's been eaten up by the vegetables, personally I've found that I can't have it with anything else. So what I'll do, I'll actually consume it on its own away from meals as a bit of a snack. And you really don't want to be having more than probably one cup of something like that a day because, like I said, these foods are very, very powerful. They are condiments. They are not mains, And they can throw the balance if you have too much. And I've done that before. You know, I was in the States and they've got um, a lot of commercial kombucha, raw organic kombucha going on. And I definitely went over the top and threw the balance over there. So, um, you know, maybe it takes you to push the limits before you realize you know how far you can go and you need to bring it back but you know that's all part of the experience but yeah excellent
1: okay well that's so cool um i think you've definitely inspired a lot of us to get into the kitchen i'm excited slash nervous because ours already looks like a science experiment (laughs) 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 steve gets pretty excited and um one of my favourite um, stories about Steve is that when our friends come over, he likes to bring in our uh, Scobies from our kombucha. And they're not little scoby babies. Like, we're talking like your big heavy-duty
2: jars. <laughs> I, I just disappear for a second and come back with these jars under my arms. <laughs> yeah, it's, be, yeah. it's because I was crap at science in high school. And, and you know, like, now's my opportunity to, you know... Steve's to time to shine. Me exactly. My time to shine.
3: <laughs> Yeah, well, that's you know a good point to make because when I was when I teach my classes on fermented foods and you pull out something like a scoby, you see everyone's faces and it's just like no way I'm not going near that thing because it looks like a
1: big mushroom alien
3: thing. Yeah, okay, but, you know, well, he
1: makes them touch it. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> <laughs> anyway there you have it another awesome show um, if like us you are inspired and seriously I am uh, to get fermenting on the go we suggest you purchase Kale's ebook. Um, we think it's the ultimate one stop how to guide um, it answers all the ins and outs and will ensure you're on the road to success so it's called Fermented Foods The Art of Probiotic Nutrition and it's available on his website which is www.nicel.com Life.com.au. Um, there's also um, access to his blog and heaps of other great information at that site. So do go and check it out. Um, nice Life is also on Facebook, so make sure you stay in touch with Kale as he continues to inspire and inform us. And as always, we hope you all enjoyed the show as much as we did. Make sure you tell us what you think, and until next week, check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Share your story and help to grow the Paleo tribe worldwide.
0: Hi, Lawrence Tam here from The Wellness Guy Show and the Inside the Champion's Mind. The Wellness Summit returns to Melbourne in 2014 for not only one, but two days of powerhouse wellness with your favorite wellness couch host and Australian's wellness elite. Join us at Crown Melbourne on Saturday. August 16th and Sunday, August 17th, for inspirational, educational, fun, exciting, sensational cocktail of wellness that promises to help you take your life to the next level. Regular tickets are $297, but for a strictly limited time, we have 150 seats available for just $247. Hurry up, because the first 150 tickets, when we went on sale, sold out in 48 hours. So be quick. Join us at the two-day live event that will change your life forever. Tickets now are on sale at thewellnesssummit.com summit.com.